Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? I'm sorry, Amy. You're sorry? Yes, I'm sorry that you didn't get to go to New Orleans. I know you're bummed. Yeah, this is not the week I had planned or anticipated. For months, I have been planning this trip to New Orleans to be at the inauguration of Jamie Dewis, the ninth president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So the Whitfields have had this on our calendar for a long time, and a uh, a bug of some sort hit the house right before we left. And um, one of our kids was down for the count, really right when we needed to be getting ready for the airport. So one had to stay behind. Um, so the Whitfield men are representing in New Orleans and uh, Mary and I stayed home. I'm sorry you had to miss it because it was a great ceremony from all. I mean, we were, at least we were able to watch it, right? It, yes, it was. And at least, I mean, I connected to the TV screen in the house and was able to put it up. So I didn't, you know, I, I, I experienced it as much as I possibly could. And Keith was there, obviously, Andrew, and I was, you know, keeping in touch with them the, the whole time. So I was in real time experiencing everything, uh, just not the way that I had anticipated. But it was an incredible thing to watch. And I have to say, that the spirit of the night really even came through on the live stream. And so that was uh, yeah. a great joy to experience that. Those who had who didn't see it or know about it while it was happening can go back and watch it. It was pretty meaningful to be doing it in real time, but it's worth it's worth a replay. Yeah, it is. And that is our top story of the week, the inauguration of Jamie do at New Orleans as the ninth president. And like you mentioned, it was live stream. We were able to actually kind of cover it uh, for Baptist Press and SBC right. this week uh, with uh, the assistance of one Ryan Hutchinson, who was shooting us pictures oh, from my goodness. front of the chapel. Yeah. And I, I need to give a shout out to him, which is kind of funny that, that those were the pictures that really came through because uh, a couple of years ago, we did a big family vacation, the Dews and the Whitfields and the Hutchinsons. And everybody kind of made fun of him because we were all Apple people. All of us had iPhones, but he had this um, Samsung phone. And we were in Antelope Canyon and the guide there said, does anyone have a Samsung phone because they take better pictures? And uh, showed him how to take pictures. And he did not let us live that down. Like, you know, we all thought we were so great with our Apple products, but he was Samsung. And so uh, Keith and I were joking last night that Samsung was the one that came through and his pictures that that uh, he sent over and we got on Baptist Press Twitter. They were they were phenomenal, especially that one of Dr. Dew preaching of Jamie up there and um, Nathan watching him. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, that was a great pick. Absolutely great pick. We'll link to that here at the show and if you didn't get to see it, uh, like you said, Amy, there's a, is a live stream. But Amy, kind of give us a, you mentioned the spirit of the night. Kind of give us a, a an overview of that. One thing that was just clear throughout the whole night, inauguration services have a lot of pomp and circumstance, usually particularly in the higher ed world. Um, everybody, you know, is processing in and their regalia and their rep- there are representatives from other institutions, a really big deal. But one thing that was very clear 
was how important it was for the New Orleans community and uh, for Jamie Dew himself to express that New Orleans was going to be known, students, faculty, and staff, for having a posture of servanthood. And so there was a real tone of humility all throughout from the music to uh, the scripture reading by uh, Tara and the kids, really just um, just a, some beautiful moments. And that culminated in his address toward the end. And so we've got a few, you know, we, we have an audio clip here to just give a sense of the message he was giving that this institution, if it's known for anything, will be known for Christ-like servanthood. So tonight I turn us as an institution, as a family, and anybody else that wants to get on board with this, to this simple, simple mission. You've heard it already to my great delight tonight. In OBTS and Level College, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. We will prepare servants to walk with Christ, proclaim His truth, and fulfill His mission. Everything we do, every class we teach, every program we offer, every dollar we spend, every initiative that we unfold will be to execute that mission. So once again, a great night down on the campus at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. We had a lot of friends uh, and co-workers there. Dr. Ronnie Floyd was there, spoke at the service, also spoke in chapel this week at New Orleans. So uh, it's good to see our boss down there as part of it, and your husband, and all of our friends uh, that were able to make it down to New Orleans. So I know everybody had a great time, and I heard there was king cake, which I am upset about because I don't have king cake here in Nashville. Yeah, I asked, I asked Keith, so he and Drew are staying. We were all supposed to stay through Sunday. We got their flights moved uh, back so they can get home on Saturday, but they are going to stay one day and just do do some things in New Orleans. And I asked him, can you bring me back a king cake? And he said, we'll see if I can get it on the plane without crushing it. So I'll let you know next week. They have them in the airport. I've done it before. Okay, I will send him. I will send him that message. I will let him know, and so I'll, I'll update next week. But that, okay. that's sounding pretty good for me then. All right, sounds good. All right, on to the rest of our news this week. We have an announcement for the vice president of the pastors' conference next year. We got a nomination announcement. Amy Chad Keck from First Baptist Kettering will be announced as the vice presidential candidate for the 2021 pastors' conference. Yeah, so these uh, nomination announcements just keep rolling in, and uh, it's January. And people. So I'm getting it's January. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean the day we're recording this is January 31st, so it's not even February yet, and we have what six nominations: two for president. I, I've lost count. Two, f- yeah, two for president, two for second vice president, and then one for president of the pastors' conference, and one for vice president of the pastors' conference. So yeah. Uh, goodness, we are really, you know, and you have until like five minutes before the speeches to nominate. Yeah, we so, like I mean, we have like five months. months. Yeah. But uh, Chad Keck is the pastor of First Baptist Church Kettering in Dayton, Ohio. He's uh, pretty well known. He's been a, a CP catalyst through the years, done a lot of other things. Yeah, he's no stranger to Southern Baptists. Right, right. He's done a lot of things just to be very engaged in the process you know, for many really seems like a very natural fit to a pastor's conference because he has served in in, uh, this world in a lot of different ways. Also, former second vice president of the convention. 
That's right. Uh, he he served as second vice president as well. And so just lots of experience. Uh, Jimmy Scroggins, pastor of Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida, will be nominating Chad Keck. All right. Well, congratulations to Chad. Looking forward to the pastor's conference this year and those elections. And uh, hopefully we'll have some news soon from the pastor's conference about what's all going to be happening at this year's pastor's conference down in Orlando, led by David Youth. Amy, we talked about this last week on the podcast, the Midwest Leadership Summit in Springfield, Illinois. I'd heard it was a big crowd, and it was. More than a thousand leaders from across the Midwest gathered for, get this, they had some large group sessions and 98 breakout sessions. That's a lot of breakouts, Amy. Wow. It really is. That's, I don't know that I've ever heard of a, an event with that many breakouts. That's some granular level training right there. Yeah. And I would hate to be the logistics person in charge of the breakouts. I think I would just. Yeah. Or the signage. My person. mind would explode. Right. Wow. Yeah. But this is an event that's held every other year and it's done by state conventions in the Midwest as well as uh, some national entities and uh, just offering really some focused ministry training to help spur the people in that area on just to reach the region for the gospel. Yes, Amy, I've heard great things about this event from everybody who's been there, including this year. So looking forward to maybe getting up there in the future and wish them all the best. And and congratulations again for a great event. I I talked to a lot of people who were there and they were just raving about it. So uh, if you're in the Midwest and you're not going to this every other year, then make plans for 2022 to be there at the Midwest Leadership Summit. Amy, some news from the executive committee. Uh, There will be a proposed revision of the mission and ministry statements from the executive committee at the EC meeting that is happening in just a couple of weeks on February the 17th and 18th here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, It's basically a rewording of the current ministry statements. Uh, Nothing changing there except for just updating the language to uh, better serve the Southern Baptist Convention in the future but also adding a prayer ministry assignment. That's something that is lacking in all of the ministry assignments across the convention and something that many have have wanted to see back in play. I think there was at one time a ministry assignment for prayer, and now that uh, will, if passed, reside at the executive committee as a new seventh ministry assignment. Right. So what is happening here is this this is being proposed. So uh, Ronnie Floyd is proposing this to the executive committee to consider this and to vote on it. And if they do, then they would bring that as a recommendation to the messengers at the SBC annual meeting. So this is just sort of the first step in the process. And uh, we need to do and we do this from time to time, just updating language, things like that, clarifying. So it will be interesting to see sort of what happens next step in the process. So more information on that and to see all the new proposed ministry statements, you can go over to the story in Baptist Press. Of course, if you want to see the current ones, just pull out your handy copy of the SBC annual that I know all of you have on your desk like I do. I do. Yes. I, I doubt many yes, listeners do that, should. though, Amy. But they should, right? But it's not a bad thing. It, not a bad No, it's yes. not a bad thing. It's a good thing because we have it. So it's got to yes. be a good thing, right? That's all right. right. On to the IMB, where they gathered in California this week for a trustee meeting. We'll have that story on next week's episode. But also, they celebrate the sending of 21 brand new missionaries for Southern Baptists. That's right. They were at Magnolia Church in Riverside, California. 
which is not too far from Gateway Seminary. So Dr. Jeff Orge delivered the message at the service, and they were able to send out 21 missionaries. So great celebration. There's a story in Baptist Press that just shares a little bit, highlights, uh, you know, talks about one couple, uh, Justin and Paige, who are headed overseas to serve among European peoples, and just giving them as an example of all the candidates that were there. But what a special night uh, for any of us who have been to a sending service. We know that it was something really, really great. So we've got the link in the show notes for that. Yeah, we we uh, if you follow the executive committee, you'll see these from time to time. Whenever they're having them, we're helping promote those live streams of those events. So, uh, I, like yes. you said, great services. I highly encourage if if you're in an area where there is one, please make it a priority to go and be at one of these Southern Baptist sending ceremonies, especially the one at the annual meeting. We talk about that seem like every year. That's always a highlight for a lot of people at the annual meeting. Right. So uh, they have them throughout the year. So if there's one near you. Check it out. Also, some news from the IMB. They have a new African-American church mobilization strategist. That is Jason Thomas. Jason comes to the IMB from Southern University, where he was the director of Baptist Campus Ministries down there in Baton Rouge, and also a graduate of Southeastern Louisiana University and New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So this guy is like from my neck of the woods, Amy. Yeah. Uh, Southeastern, right there in Hammond, where I went to high school in Ponchatoula, right down the road. So I need to meet Jason. So hopefully we'll get to run into him at some point down the road. Uh, So congratulations to him and some changes over at Midwestern, Amy, where they have uh, done some staff reorganization and some organizational structure changes. Tell us about that. They named um, Thor Madsen as Dean of Doctoral Studies and Academic Initiatives, Rodney Harrison to the position of Dean, I believe, for Academic Strategy and Institutional Effectiveness, and John Mark Yates, uh, who has been part of the administration for some time, uh, was named Dean of Students and Student Success. So uh, it's really just putting these deans in place in some different areas. People who have been a part of Midwestern Seminary have uh, been leading in various areas, but it just sort of fine tunes, you know, what what they are doing. Um, Thor Madsen has been serving as the Dean of Graduate Studies. And so now as he moves into doctoral studies and academic initiatives, they will begin searching for the Dean of Graduate Studies position. Just a few, you know, little, little things there as they fine tune their administrative processes. And it seems like a really good thing. All right. A couple of notes on this. John Mark Yates, former guest on the pod here. Yes. We had him on when we did our uh, Southern Baptist Seminary Colleges. Yes. Uh, highlighting uh, that we did. We did that interview series. I remember that. And then Thor Madsen, best name in the SBC right there. Thor Madsen. It's a pretty good one. Yeah. I mean, that's a strong name, Amy. Nobody's going to argue with a guy named Thor Madsen. With the um, Marvel Universe movies really coming out, that's kind of gotten Thor back on people's minds, I guess, and has made his name even cooler in the last few years. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I wonder if he like walks around with a hammer. But Probably not. This is where the jokes are all, it's a little too far. Just, it's not funny anymore. Oh, all right. Well, I'll be the judge of what's funny, Amy. That'll do it for the news this week. Before we jump into your history moment, we have a special guest here on the podcast, George Schroeder, the new associate vice president for Convention News, sat down with me earlier this week, had a great time to talk about uh, Baptist Press and George's history and just uh, sports in general. So here's George Schroeder 
on SBC This Week. Today on SBC This Week, we have George Schroeder joining us. George, thanks for joining us, man. And it's cool to be with you. I mean, this is uh, this is fun. I've been listening to you and Amy, and now I get to be a part of it for just for a brief moment. Yeah, well, it's good to have you on. I, we wanted to have you on last week, just didn't work out. I know it was your first week in the office drinking by a fire hose, basically, here at the executive committee. And you are the new associate vice president for convention news at the executive committee. Yeah, I'm excited to do it. Uh, it's been the first week and a half have been drinking from a fire hose. I still am. I think I'm starting to get my feet underneath me a little bit, but uh, this has really been a great beginning and um, look forward to where we go from here. You came to Baptist Press. Uh, that's basically your purview now. You you run Baptist Press and other convention news outlets here at the EC for us. Uh, and you came to us from USA Today, where you'd been since, I think, 2012 and been there at USA Today. Before that, you can tell us your history here in just a second. I'll let you do that. But I came from kind of the, the sports world. You, you've been a sports columnist, sports writer for nearly 30 years. And so there's a little bit of difference now. You know, we've got... You've got LSU fans here, and you've got LSU fans in your former world, speaking of myself, obviously. Uh, but I think the ones here probably use better language than the previous world. Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that's the hope anyway, yeah. right? <laughs> but uh, no, the, listen, the one thing I know is I moved into the prime footprint for the SEC, mm-hmm. no question. I mean, Nashville doesn't – it has its own team, Vanderbilt. I get we do. It, but, it, but it has – you know, it's sort of a, a, a potpourri of a bunch of different yeah. fan bases. And uh, it, it's kind of fun to be on this side of things for a while. But you're, I did. I did move from the sports journalism world where you, you get to cover the games. And it's a lot of fun. But you also cover courthouses and NCAA investigations and things like that. And so uh, it's it's kind of neat to uh, – I, I, somebody asked me the difference between what I'm doing now and, and what I used to do. And I said, well, the first thing is – I'm really hopeful that the uh, the folks I interview will be uh, less sweaty and uh, won't be wearing a towel. Yeah, less sweaty and more clothed. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I'm not interviewing anybody else in a locker room if I can help it. That's yeah, the point, right? There you go. But yeah, this is this is an interesting transition, and it's one that I have really looked forward to, but uh, potentially making, and never knew if I'd have the opportunity. But for for several years now. All right. Well, give us a quick rundown. Where, where have you been before? I, I mean, it's in the Baptist Press article. We'll link to that as well. But just kind of give us the the history of George Schroeder and his media prowess. Yeah, I don't know if it's prowess. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, and started working at my hometown paper, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, uh, and worked there for for several years. And went to Oklahoma City to cover Oklahoma football for the Oklahoman, which is the Oklahoma City paper, and covered uh, the Sooners' uh, football beat for six or seven years, and then went off to Eugene, Oregon, which was a complete departure, uh, to be the columnist for the newspaper there, the Register Guard. A lot of Oregon Ducks coverage, some Blazers, some Oregon State. Now, did they win the title when you were up there? I mean, play for the title. They did. They did. And uh, I guess Auburn. the 2010 season, I yeah. want to say. Okay. And uh, Cam Newton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Last was, minute kind of touchdown there. Right. Well, they, yeah, they had the, it was a field goal. But, field goal. Uh, That's Michael right. Dyer was not down when he was. It's a long story. Oh, boy. Anyway, this is this is like more sports talk than than this podcast has ever had already. Probably. <laughs> At least officially. Except, except when you and Amy kind of uh, uh, got crosswise about uh, LSU and Clemson. Of course, you won that one. I did. So. 
And then uh, went to USA Today in 2012, as you said, to cover national college football. Had done a little bit of work with Sports Illustrated while I was at the the Eugene newspaper, the Register Guard, and that pro- probably sort of set the way for USA Today. Went through a reorganization, and and I had the opportunity to move there, and um, it was a it, it was a tremendous uh, blessing to do that for for seven years and, and eight football seasons. Is kind of how I count yeah. t- kind of time for a while was by football seasons, um, but. This is a new season, you know, of of life for me, and it is it's an answer to prayer in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and you are a committed layman in your church, a Baptist church in Oklahoma, a Trinity Baptist, I think, in Norman. That's right. And so you've made that transition from being a layman, vocationally a sports writer, but a layman into vocational denominational service. Now, not many people make that jump. That's a that's a jump. Actually, I made about a decade or so ago, whenever I went from working in the sports world, oddly enough, into working at the WMU. But uh, not a lot of people make that transition from vocation, you know, being a layman in their church to jumping into the SBC world and denominational service. So what's that transition? I mean, it's early on, but what's that transition like for you? Yeah, well, first of all, um, I'm glad you guys didn't pay a lot of attention to that, or maybe I wouldn't be here, right? No, but, well, I mean, you same in, path that I took, yeah. so I mean... Why not, right? <laughs> so in my mind, it, it yes, it's a big transition. But in my mind, I think God has been preparing me for ministry for several years. Mm-hmm. And, it, and in referring to the prayer that I talked about a minute ago, one of them was, do you have something else for me, Lord? What would it be? And then sort of, and could it possibly be ministry? Not knowing. But, you know, as I, as I um, served in my church and as, as there was a growing desire to follow Christ uh, in, in all sorts of different ways— uh, I think I thought to myself, could there be an opportunity where I would be in ministry? And I didn't know that. It might have just been lay ministry mm-hmm. in the church, and I'm involved in a missions effort uh, in our church with uh, with a church plant in Guatemala and some things like that. And I thought it might just be, which sounds bad, but it it might just be lay ministry, which is, doesn't mean just lay yeah. ministry. But that might be it while you still have the other vocation. Right. Yeah. Or, or some other kind of a secular vocation. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure that it would continue in sort of sports journalism, sports journalism or USA Today or whatever. But just kind of think deep in my heart of hearts, it was like, Lord, do you have something else for me that could be ministry? Mm-hmm. And so I began uh, a, a while a while ago to um, pursue a, a master's at, at Southwestern and didn't sure, wasn't sure what that would mean. Still not sure what that will mean when I finally complete it, whenever that is. You've got me drinking from that fire hose, so I'm laying out this semester. But, um, and so I didn't know what it would mean until, you know, I saw this uh, opportunity pop up mm-hmm. on Twitter and uh, ended up getting in contact with you, and, and the process kind of went from there. Whose tweet originally did you see? Was it Dr. Floyd's? Might have been. Might have been. Might have been a retweet of something you put out or okay. something. I don't know. But it's possible. It would have been Dr. Floyd's, yeah. Huh. Neat. That's really cool. So you, you mentioned we're at Baptist Press. You're coming in now, Associate Vice President. What does the future look like for Baptist Press? I mean, it's it's a familiar brand to a lot of Southern Baptists, where a lot of them get their news. A lot of our state papers rely on that for news coverage of national events and events in other states. So what does the future look like for Baptist Press? Well, cautioning that I'm a week and a half in, yeah. right? So it's – and obviously, but you and I have talked about this, and we've spoken about it with other people, and there's kind of a vision that we're casting. Um, I think we want to be a lot more nimble, and we want to be – and this is your phrase – we want to report the news at the speed of the news. And and I think that's not been the mindset. It's been a little bit more of uh, – 
the best way to put this maybe is a print mentality. Even though Baptist Press doesn't have a print edition, it's been sort of a print mentality. And we certainly serve the state newspapers and we serve the convention yeah. at large. We have print customers, right. so to speak. Absolutely. But I, but I think that we need to be a lot more nimble. And, and I guess the word is a lot faster mm-hmm. as we react to the news. And sometimes, and, and we also want to be proactive mm-hmm. too. And so I think we want to move much you know, closer to being uh, a fast operation. I'm used to being 24-7, 365 as a reporter at USA Today, as a columnist at USA Today. Something happens, you, re- you react to it, or you confirm the news or whatever. I don't know that that's where we're going to go all the way to, but we want to move a lot closer to that than what we've been. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be a process, but that's the goal. And and, and I know that uh, I, I believe we're going to get there, and, and I like what I've seen so far. You mentioned a little bit about the print mentality and versus the digital age. So what is that – what have you seen? I mean, you've worked in a print field that has slowly changed and some in some cases come kicking and screaming into a digital age and some print outlets, but – what, what have you seen of the changing landscape of media coverage in the in our digital age, and, and how may that benefit us moving forward at Batters Press? So when I first got to, uh, I'll just give you, like when I first got to USA Today, the idea was don't worry about being in the print edition, just write for the web. And that was hard to think about because on the one hand, it's kind of cool to have your byline in the print edition mm-hmm. of USA Today. And you're coming from daily newspapers that are Right. Really print driven. That had a website, but yeah. obviously the and the print product is what still made the money yeah. and still makes the money for those places, uh, to the extent that they're making money. But <laughs> which is another Some story. Of them. Right. Uh it's another story. But you sort of get to the point where you realize, all right, I'm just writing this for this outlet. And some of the stories go on the on in the newspaper, in the print edition, but they're all part of USA Today, just using them as an example. And so you get it up quickly and and you you know you and the, the tension there is getting things up quickly while still adhering to good journalistic principles. Getting them right, most getting importantly. Getting correct, yeah. right. Accuracy and, and fairness uh, and so much else sometimes has gotten lost in the way people have moved away from print and into immediate in digital format. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I certainly – I don't know that I'm saying that's prevalent. I'm saying that's become a growing problem. Mm-hmm. Used to, When I first started – uh, as a let's just say covering the Oklahoma beat way back when um, for the Oklahoma and the Oklahoma City paper, the goal was to have a story that made your competitors um, wake up the next morning and go, "Wow, we didn't have that story," or to break the news, whatever it was. And they and, and it's basically because the uh, the newspaper hit their driveway, right? And they looked at looked at it and they were like, "Wow, we didn't have that story. Now we've got to scramble all day to catch up." That was the goal. Uh, and, and things got posted at 6 a.m. too, mm-hmm. probably about the time that, you know, it was, frankly, at one point, it was time to when the newspaper carrier would would uh, would deliver the print product. The exact same thing ends up on the web to where now you have to have stuff up now because everybody is writing stuff and then updating it, writing stuff and updating it. And, and so I think I've seen that sort of change over the years, and there has been a, a kicking and screaming and dragging people along. But... It's how we consume news now. Mm-hmm. Very few people get newspapers in the driveway anymore, sadly. Uh, as like I grew up in a two newspaper household in, in Little Rock. Oh wow! Yeah, we we had we took both papers uh, and actually threw those papers. You know, at one time when I was you know in high school and, and I think early in college. But that's not how it goes anymore. And you can't wait as it relates to the business of the news. You can't. It doesn't wait now 
for some print schedule. And so we can't either. So how does that apply to Baptist Press? I mean, we kind of touched on a little bit before, but how does that, that you know, you mentioned the, the quote that I, I've been using, I guess, around the office here. We report the news at the speed of the news. What does that look like in a BP world? You know, in the past, people would wait maybe two or three days for, for news to be come out of sort of the, the SBC's official uh, news agency, BP. Mm-hmm. And I think those days are over. Along with just sort of this idea of being faster comes the idea of how we consume news, mm-hmm. I think, just the public at large. And, and this is true for SBC folk, too. We consume it, I think, a lot of ways. You don't even just surf the web anymore. No. Uh, it I don't comes go to, to websites you. to see what's new there. Right. You might have done this earlier in your career, and I yeah. did, where you'd surf five or six sites that you felt like you needed to surf. Every morning. It, for me, it was my competitors mm-hmm. or college football at large or whatever. But those days are, are gone now. You, you get it from social media, and it's, you're sort of self-curated in some ways, but it comes to you is the point. Because of that, that, that increases the pressure on Baptist Press, I think, to be faster, as I said earlier, at what we do because others are going to be putting up stuff too. And we do actually have some competitors – and so I think we need to be much, much faster about that. We're not going to maybe be at the same speed because we want to get it right again, but we can't be we can't be in a situation where something happens or there's a story that's done and it's two or three days later that we come up with that we come out with the story. And that was sort of that print mentality mm-hmm. that I talked about. And so we'll be moving as rapidly as we can to get to that point where we are kind of rapid. I don't know if that's rapid response. I don't know if that's proactive. It's all the above. But that that's the goal. Yeah. And sometimes with that delay, it leads to kind of a, a news vacuum. And sometimes that vacuum can be filled with maybe not truth. Uh, you know, quite frankly, sometimes it's just lies. There are a lot of websites out there. We, we hear this about fake news or whatever in the mainstream news. But we also have that problem a lot of times in the denominational world, just people just reporting lies or just straight up missing the story completely. How does that? Uh, what does that look like? You know, as far as Baptist Press is concerned, and and how we act going forward. So we want to be news for and about Southern Baptists, and that means news, right? Yeah, not, not fake news, but because of that, there is sort of that segment that will fill the vacuum you're talking about, uh, especially if it takes two or three days for us to get a story out. Um, that increases that pressure on us to be fast. But the goal here is for us to to explain the truth about any given topic, about here's what's actually going on or here's what's actually has, has happened. And to the extent that that means we have to combat some things that are half-truths or mistruths or lies, then we're going to do that. And that is, that is the goal. My goal is to be accurate. My goal is to be fair. My goal is to be uh, sensitive, to treat people as though they are made in the image of God because they are. And and I and and so I, you, you put all that together, and I believe there is good, accurate, honest journalism that is a need in Southern Baptist life, and we aim to fill that. Yeah. So that that's kind of where I am, and and to the extent that that means that occasionally we'll need to push back against some reports that are, you know, misinformed or or worse. Then we're going to do that, yeah. and and I think that's I've already seen that that's that's a role that you've taken on, and you know as as VP of communications, that's a role Baptist Press needs to take on too. We will be accurate. We're not going to be propaganda. We will be accurate, but I think that uh, there's a whole lot of things that that are probably going to require some pushback mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah.
All right. Well, thanks, George, for joining us. We look forward to the future of Baptist Press and look forward to working with you along with Amy and myself. So thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for that, Jonathan. I am so excited to have George on the team and uh, just to be able to work with him. I have a lot of respect for his track record. And then uh, just the few the few weeks that we've been working together already, I can just tell uh, we're going to love it. So thanks for that interview. And that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. I was just really looking. Sometimes I like to look and see how uh, Southern Baptists reacted to important moments in history. And so this week, I'm going to throw in an issue of Baptist Press from 1986. It was the January 31st issue. And basically, except for maybe one story at the end about uh, some situation about a situation in Haiti, um, the entire issue was dedicated to how Southern Baptists were related to or reacting to the space shuttle disaster um, with the, the Challenger. Now this, 1986, that's probably for a lot of people of my generation, that's sort of the first where were you when this happened moment. Absolutely. I remember this day. Yeah, kind of that spot between the Kennedy assassination and 9-11 was where were you when uh, the Challenger exploded. But this was, was interesting, and I never really looked at this in Baptist Press before, but there's a story about a pastor, Bill Faulkner, who um, was pastor of Westside Baptist Church in Titusville and lived, you know, was near the launch site at Kennedy Space Center, so was watching from the ground and just sort of what that experience was. Also connecting uh, some other some some other ways that people were involved in the family. A member of First Baptist Church Merritt Island who was launch director for the Challenger mission and a personal friend of two of the astronauts. Some other people who were connected. There's also a um, a story on churches that were around the Johnson Space Center community and just how they were ministering to people and how they were dealing with the loss of those who were killed uh, in the explosion. And then also a, a story about Baptist College of Charleston, which we would now know as Charleston Southern University, and their connection to one of the astronauts, uh, Dick Scobie, whose wife was an honors graduate of the college in 1970, and and he was considered a loyal friend of the school. And so they had established a scholarship fund and, and things like that. But it was just interesting to see how important that was to Southern Baptists in the area or with connections and how they processed that day, which was a tragedy for so many, um, for so many Americans. So it's something that was important to the nation. Um, it was also important to a lot of the churches. That's what was happening this week in SBC history. All right. I remember that vividly. That was in kindergarten for me. So I, they had brought in the TV to watch the launch because it was a big thing in classrooms because right. of Krista McAuliffe. Right. So uh, a lot of classrooms around the, the U.S. were watching this live when it happened. And woof, I remember that. Yeah, I think I was in the... F- third or fourth grade, maybe showing my age here, but we had a snow day in Nashville and we were at home and my brother and I were in the back of the house uh, watching something else on TV. And my mom came and got us and said, you need to come in here now. It's really sad. Very sad. So, so Amy, that's going to move us to our resources of the week. Your resource of the week is? So my resource is a study that just came out from Lifeway Research that churchgoers are divided over 
having armed congregants. Um, So most Protestant pastors say that their congregations have taken some precautions after several high-profile church shootings have happened, that they've taken some precautions uh, to protect uh, their attenders. Um, Around four in five Protestant pastors, that's 80%, say their church has some type of security measure in place. And the most common form of preparation is making an intentional plan. But there is a debate as far as having guns in in church. So close to half of pastors say that part of their security measures include having armed church members. And so it's interesting because it's very clear that churches have... (laughs) Intentionally armed. Yes, intentionally armed. So that churches have security plans, but not all of them are ready to go that far. See, this is an interesting thing for me because... You know, the one the one church where my husband was a senior pastor, he's served in, in some other capacities uh, in churches, but the one place where he was a senior pastor in Virginia, in our town was a state police headquarters. So we had a number of uh, state troopers in our church and um, also some, you know, state police administrators. And so that wasn't even a question because they were, I mean, some of them were in uniform depending on the day, but we just sort of always knew that we had state troopers in there, which was a very secure feeling, actually, for me. I'll, you know. I bet. Yeah. But, uh, so it just wasn't even anything that the church had to think about, because you had all these, you know, this the the police presence in there as part of the community. So it's kind of weird. But. Yeah. What What's fascinating in this is also the breakdown of the different denominations. Back to the intentionally have a uniformed police officer, armed security personnel. 71% of Pentecostal pastors agreed, 65% of Baptists, 53% of Church of Christ. Then there's a big drop. Methodists at 32, Lutheran 27, Presbyterian are Reformed at 27 as well. So right. that, that's surprising. Quakers Quakers were not on this, Amy. They were not surveyed, apparently. Uh, but yeah. I would guess it would be pretty low. I would right? say it would be I would say it would be pretty low. Yes. Yes. But anyway, so, uh, so it, I have it a just question. was surprising that there was such I, a breakdown. Yeah, I have a question actually, though, on some thoughts about this. So, Baptist churches and um, Church of Christ are on the list. I mean, I know a, a handful of the church shootings in the last little bit have been in Churches of Christ. Um, and I know that just, you know, probably it, it gets my attention because I have a background in that. There have been some Baptist churches. Is it, is it possible that when it happens sort of within your denomination or family of churches, news travels around more people think about it more? I, I would guess so. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, because, I mean, you just get a lot more awareness. When we hear about this happening in a Southern Baptist church, we're, we are getting more news stories. We're looking into it more. We're finding people that we know that were connected to it. We talk about it, you know, in later months. Um, so it just makes me wonder if, because some of the church shootings in recent times have happened in some of those churches, did that, you know, just get people's attention? I'm not really sure. All right. And Amy, I think also the makeup of who makes up these denominations probably plays right. some factor into it as well. Right. Yeah. So. There, and there there may be some different positions on uh, the use of guns and ownership of guns, things like that. That could affect it also. Uh, but I just have wondered if the concern for church security, it, as you hear more stories within your own community, it kind of heightens your awareness and your desire. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'm no statistician. So, I can't yeah. draw Good the, resource. The good research. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. What's your resource of the week? 
Mine is the 2020 Minister Wives Luncheon at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. Because registration yes. is now open for that. Registration is open. Yes, this was a big, big event every year. And it sells out almost every year. And last year was a uh, a sold out really early because it was a really small room. They've got right. a bunch of seats this year, though. It's a massive room for this. But you still need to get your tickets because yes. there's a lot of seats, but there's a lot of people coming. Right. We have more. We anticipate more messengers, more guests. So the room is bigger, but there's more that you're potentially competing with more people for seats. So get your tickets now. Yes. So you can buy those for $20 a piece at Lifeway. They're helping facilitate the sale of the tickets over at Lifeway.com. So we'll link to that. But there's a $20 registration for individuals, or you can buy a 10-person table for $200. So one for 20 or 10 for 200, Amy. Wait, what a deal. wait a minute. I'm not good at math, but I know. Isn't that the same? It is. One for it 20 or 10 but for But you can buy 10 at once. You can buy yeah, them in buy groups of 10. What they're saying. You can buy a whole table. That's the point. Yes. Okay. Yes. There you go. Exactly. Because so, a lot of people like to do that. Yes. Yeah, because if, you, if you've got 12 messengers or whatever it is coming from your church and you have women or wives that are part of the messenger group or whatever, and you want to go to this, well, then you buy 10 You go together. Once. Right. You just get a table yeah. and go together. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So Whitney Caps is the uh, headliner for this year. She's uh, with Proverbs 31. She has a book, Sick of Me. So she's a right. kind of a big deal. So I, my wife is a big fan of her. So that'll be a good one. So check that out. That's on the Tuesday of the annual meeting, June the 9th. So get those tickets now because, again, they'll likely sell out. Even though it's a bigger room and there's a lot more tickets this year, it's still a hot item. Absolutely. All right, Amy, something that we kind of missed at the beginning of the show, I did want to touch on it here at the end, uh, was what happened around the inauguration. So the inauguration service and everything wasn't the only thing going on down at New Orleans this past week as part of it and, and kind of to model the towel and basin mentality that Dr. Dew is bringing to the seminary. They had a, a list of service projects that they did around the city. Right. Service day. Yes. That they were around as an evangelism and missions day. And so they, on Tuesday, they essentially uh, took up the towel and basin to serve like Jesus and did mission projects all around the city. Um, they saw, what did, did Frank Cox say last night? Uh, did Frank Cox I say, eight. I think eight people came uh, to accept Christ as their yeah. savior. And so uh, they went door to door evangelism. They did other things um, around the city to serve people. And so really special. They showed a great video with clips of that. I hope that that's yeah. going to go we'll put up that online, online if they If they put it yeah. online. Yeah, yeah, really, really we'll, great. We'll send it out if they ever put it online. And then, uh, but there's also a story that they released to Baptist Press, which tells about it as well. So really, really good week in New yeah. Orleans. Okay, it's February, Amy. That means we're, we're getting into the swing of things with trustee meetings. We already had the IMB trustee meeting this week. Uh, we have a story about that on next week's show. Our trustee meeting's coming up. I'm headed to Tucson to meet with state execs and the... Uh, State Baptist paper editors. So, got a meetings galore next week after you know the tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth. So, it's it's time to go, Amy. Seminaries are back in full swing. EC meeting coming. We have nominations out the wazoo around here for stuff at the annual meeting. So, things are picking up, Amy. They are picking up indeed, Jonathan. It's getting crazy. Yep, it is. So, we will bring you all the news here at 
SBC this week. So be sure to tune in. Follow us on Twitter. Follow Baptist Press on Twitter. Subscribe to the SBC Morning Briefing over at sbcmorningbriefing.com. Get all the news delivered to you every day. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again to George Schroeder for joining us and a great interview with him. Congratulations again to Dr. Jamie Dew on his inauguration this week. Amy, I'll see you next week. See you next week.